0: Welcome to episode number 194 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic entrepreneur, and we talk about life (laughs) and how to do it better. That's what we're doing around here. You guys, can you believe in six more episodes, we're going to be at 200? Like that blows my mind. I cannot believe I have sat down in front of this microphone and put out two. Hundred episodes. It's insanity. And it kind of makes me feel old. I kind of am old, so that makes sense. But (laughs) a couple of things I want to talk about really quickly. Um, One is kind of sad and bittersweet. Let's say it's bittersweet because it's part of it is sad and part of it is really, really fantastic. But I had a a mom reach out to me a while back, um, a couple of weeks ago, probably by the time you're listening to this. And she reached out, and this is a mom that I have known for several years, right? I actually did an intervention with her, with her family, and on one of her kids. And she reached out to me for treatment resources in Austin. And she said, You know, I've got a friend, and she's in Austin, and she has a child who is struggling with addiction, no insurance, etc. I know you have some resources there. Could you help me? And of course, I messaged her back. This is what I know. This is how she can go about it. Google this in her area, you know, trying to give guidance and really help this person get into treatment. Now, The other side of that conversation is, as I told you, I did an intervention with this family, with this mom and one of her kids, and that person just celebrated five years sober. Five years, you guys. And I am so incredibly proud of this person and their family, the whole system, it's so fantastic to share those victories. And I have a ton of families that I've done interventions for. You know, we I kind of joke, even with my clients, I'm like, you never really get rid of me, <laughs> you know, like you and especially like my six week clients and stuff. We spend so much time together and we really get to know each other. And it's the same way when I work with a family for an intervention, right? Like we're in the trenches together. When you are in the trenches with any situation, there is bonding and connection that happens there. So you never really get rid of me. And it made me think too, this past November, Thanksgiving, I got a text from another family that I had done an intervention with many years ago as well. And they said, They just sent me a text out of the blue and said, whenever we're thinking about what we're grateful for, you're always top of the list. Thank you so much for everything you've done for our family. We couldn't have gone through this without you. And those things, you guys, that's what I live for. Like, that's what I do this work for. This is such a challenging and difficult situation to navigate and imagine trying to do this if it's not you, right? <laughs> imagine you're trying to do this and it's one of your kids. And I know I have a lot of people that listen to this show also that don't have any addiction issues at all because we're really a life coach. We're really a coaching podcast. I just happen to be a recovering alcoholic. So that's what we talk about. But there's a lot of people that listen to this that, it, that they listen because they want to learn more about addiction because their spouse or their child struggles with it. So imagine if you're one of those people, you guys, You it's not even your thing. You don't even have it yourself and you're trying to figure out how to navigate it, what to do, what's the right thing, like who do you call? One of the most heartbreaking things I hear with families is they say, we didn't even know what to Google, like we didn't even know what to search for to find help. And that makes me really sad and unfortunately, a lot of times you start Googling And the things you find are, you know, the, the facilities and places that have, you know, $100,000 marketing budgets. And that doesn't always mean that that's the best fit for you or for your person, whoever you're looking for help for. But those are the first things you're going to find because they've got all the money to be the first things that you find. And that's how it goes. But anyway, so I went, I was super warm heart, feeling warm and fuzzy, That person celebrated five years, so ridiculously crazy happy for them. And they went on to start working in the treatment industry also, just like I did, right? So many of us do that. Now, here's the bitter part of the bittersweet. The mom texted me the next day and said, the person I was asking for help for overdosed last night and passed away just that quickly. And what it really brought to mind for me is all the time that we spend talking ourselves out of getting help or taking action. And I did the same thing, you guys know, like, I had, I don't know, somewhere around two or three years at the very end of my drinking, where I really knew I needed help, there was no question, I needed to quit drinking, but I had no idea what to do and I wasn't ready and I couldn't make a commitment and I just didn't know how to start stopping. I had no idea. And that's why in 12 steps we say you get the gift of desperation because when you get desperate, that's when you drop your excuses and you find solutions. And that's what happened to me with my car accident. But how long do we spend in this limbo, this drunken, strung out limbo, not figuring out the solutions because we're scared or we're overwhelmed, we don't know what to do, and just that quickly, we can have catastrophic circumstances, just like my accident. Or think about the NFL player from just several weeks ago who crashed and cost someone their life. And I don't know what his situation was. I don't know if he's an alcoholic or if he was just, you know, using poor judgment that night. I have no idea. But you see what I'm saying? It's a split second, you guys. And when we sit back and say, I'm not that bad. This isn't that big of a deal. I don't have any DUIs. I'm not drinking and driving. I only drink on the weekends or I only drink after five o'clock. When you play this game with yourself... It only takes one moment to have catastrophic circumstances or not even catastrophic. You know, I wouldn't, my accident wasn't, you know, a barrel of laughs or anything, but I wouldn't say it was catastrophic. It felt that way in the moment for sure, but it didn't end up being that way. You know, the, the end result was not catastrophic. I was a little hurt, but that was it. Um, but it was a split second. And I had never been in a situation like that before either. So I could have said the same thing. There was a decade, well over a decade, that I was saying, I've never had a DUI. That's never happened to me. I'm not that bad. I still have a job. I'm working. I have money. I have a beautiful place to live. I could say all those things too. It didn't make me less of an alcoholic. And it just breaks my heart that we put it off and put it off and put it off until we have some sort of event, right, that thrusts you into that gift of desperation where you can no longer hide from it, no longer avoid it, no longer deny it. And unfortunately, some people don't make it to that place. And overdose deaths are so prominent right now. Like, it blows my mind how much you hear about this. Obviously, we're in an epidemic situation with the opioid crisis. There's no question. So this is going to be a part of the story. It just breaks my heart. And I hear the guys in my sober houses, too, talk about this. Like Some of these guys, 24, 25, 26 years old, all of them have friends that have died. Some of them saw them die. In these situations, it is heartbreaking to me. Because as a drunk, right, I'm a good old fashioned alcoholic, I never did drugs. And as a drunk, that's not so much a part of your reality. Now, over the years, I have certainly lost people, often to suicide. And you definitely have people die from drinking that happens. But it's not as prominent as it is with this opioid crisis. So I just wanted to share that. It was a bittersweet moment. You know, I mean, one one night I'm sending resources, do this, look for this, this is what you want to ask for, you know, trying to help as much as I could for a person I don't know. And and the next day that person was gone. So I just really want you guys to be mindful where you are in your journey And know that there are consequences to the choices that we make. I just want everybody to have help. You know, that's the whole point of all of this. I just want everybody to have help like I had help. I had people that loved me and supported me and taught me how to walk this path. And I will never be more grateful for anything on the planet than my recovery. I could not be more grateful for anything than my recovery and the community that I had around me to teach me how to live this life so that now I can do the same thing for others. And you guys know too, that was a huge part of my story. In my first year sober, like I would say in my first four to six months, I knew without a doubt I wanted my whole life to revolve around recovery. I was so in love with it and I was so shocked. At the results I was seeing and how much I was changing as a person because I had been a crappy person for so long, I was just shocked by it all. (laughs) Like, I, I literally could not believe how much I was changing and just becoming a good person and how much freedom I felt in a sober life. Like I was so in love with the whole thing. I knew that's all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was help other people have that same feeling. And so that's what we're doing around here. Anyway, congratulations to my person that celebrated the five years too. It's so incredible. And you guys really mastering... Recovery is, if you have substance issues or even process addictions, whatever ails you, mastering recovery is how you master your life. Because with the skills you learn, when you're on a personal development path, the skills you learn in personal development allows you to master every area of your life. And actually, this leads me perfectly into the next thing. In January, I'm doing a 30-day boot camp. Dry January Kickstarter, a 30-day boot camp with me. It starts January 3rd, and it is going to be (laughs) action-packed. I don't know how else to say it. Listen, we're doing a lot of stuff in here. If you are frustrated because you don't know where to begin, if you're feeling like you're putting a lot of time and energy into your recovery and you're not seeing a lot of results, this will be for you. If you've tried and failed a thousand times, this is for you. And you're just generally overwhelmed, or maybe you're on the other side of it. Maybe you're crushing it. Maybe you're sober a few weeks already or even a few months. This is how you want to start your year. I'll be doing live videos every week, personally answering questions. We're going to do quick fix live chats where I work with people individually to help you where you're stuck and get you the boost you need to keep pushing forward. It's going to be amazing truly amazing. In my first 30 day boot camp, I've never done anything like this before. Everything will happen in a private pop up Facebook group. Pop up Facebook group means we create this Facebook group, it pops up specifically for this event, and then it goes away. So it will be the 30 day boot camp, pop up, private Facebook group and then it'll go away all you need to do is go to addictionunlimited.com forward slash bootcamp to sign up and sign up now and then the emails will start going out next week to get in the Facebook group when it opens you guys this is deep dive recovery stuff and it's 100% free you heard me right my friend it's free so no excuses leave your bs at the door because we are getting down and dirty with sobriety. AddictionUnlimited.com forward slash bootcamp. And of course, I will put that in the show notes and I will post it in the Addiction Unlimited Facebook group. So you can click and sign up from either one of those places. AddictionUnlimited.com forward slash bootcamp. Let's jump into this topic today. How to deal with feelings and prevent relapse boy, this is a big one. (laughs) Feelings. Feelings are hard. So let me just start with the basics. Let's start with feelings 101, okay? Here are the basic things I really want you to know about feelings. One, feelings come and go. We all feel a thousand different emotions throughout the day. Some last for a few seconds. Some might linger a while and become a mood, <laughs> but they come and go. And I say this first because I want you to be really clear on this. We have a tendency to, especially in negative feelings, we have a tendency to get in this negative feeling and act like it's going to last the rest of our lives. It's the end of the world. I feel bad you guys, it all passes. It all passes. Your bad feelings and moods will pass just like your good feelings and moods pass. We have to keep that in perspective. You don't get in a good mood or have a happy feeling and have it the rest of your life, right? They all come and go. Keep that in perspective, okay? Feelings come and go. The second thing is, Emotions can vary in intensity, right? They can be mild or intense or anywhere in between there. It depends on the situation, the person, your coping skills, but there are different levels of these feelings too. And the last thing I want to say in Feelings 101 is there are no good or bad We have to get out of this habit of judging. We always want to put a judgment on it. Oh, that feels good. Oh, that's bad. Like we just don't put the judgment on it. Everything you're feeling, you've heard me say this a million times, feelings are feedback. Everything you're feeling is just giving you some feedback of what you need to do, where you might need some work, how you might need to handle something, right? I'm not going to feel good. You hear me talk about energy drains, Energy drains can be anything. It can be phone calls that I'm procrastinating. It can be bills I'm avoiding or work I'm avoiding. It can be a million things, you guys. Those are energy drains because you think about them like the phone rings and I don't want to take that call, but then I think about it throughout the day. It'll pop in my head. Oh, I hit ignore. Those are energy drains because they drain your energy, right? But all of that stuff is just feedback. If I'm having some feedback from a choice I made, I have to look at that and go, okay, why does this keep popping up? I obviously don't feel good about it. So what do I need to do to clean it up? I got to clean up my mess. Don't think about it as good or bad. It's all just necessary. Now, there are good and bad ways of expressing how you're feeling (laughs) or acting out and Really learning how to express emotions in a positive way is super important and and life changing, honestly, because when you learn how to communicate and really get cool with what you're feeling and how to talk about it and not putting all the judgments on it and just getting in the solution and figuring out how to be better or feel better. When you get there, it changes every area of your life. It makes you more efficient as an employer or employee. It makes you more efficient as a family member to your siblings and your parents. It makes you a better parent, a better partner, right? It's every area of your life is affected by this. So how to express feelings is super important too. So that's feelings 101. Feelings come and go. They can be mild, intense, or anywhere in between and don't put a judgment of good or bad on them, right? Good or bad is how we act out or act on them or express them. We can get a little carried away, but there are no good or bad emotions. It's just feedback. The next thing I want to talk about is, and this is kind of crazy, there are six primary emotions, okay? Love, joy, surprise, Anger, sadness, fear. What I find interesting in the six primary emotions is there's two in there that we don't ever really talk about, joy and surprise. We talk about love all the time. Everybody talks about love. I love you. You love your family. You love your job. Love, love, love. I love, love. Anger, of course, we're all familiar with anger. Anger is one of the most acceptable ways to show emotion. So oftentimes, anger represents fear, anxiety, especially in guys. Guys are more apt to do this. Girls cry. Guys, when they get uncomfortable or angsty, it will come out snippy, snappy, barking orders. You know, it just comes out more mad. Sadness, of course, we all know and understand sadness, and we talk about that in fear. But joy and surprise, we don't talk about very much. Those are not two words that come up regularly when thinking about or talking about feelings. So I just think that's interesting. Those are the six primary emotions, and two of them we don't really hear much about. We always think of the easy ones, right? Anger, happy, sad, fear. But as we grow up and we become adults, emotions become more complicated, right? (laughs) They become more nuanced in that we like to really get in there and pinpoint. So it's not just that I am sad, it's that I'm disappointed, right? (laughs) Like we just get into naming them on a deeper level, like um, shock, shame, anxiety, disgust, amusement, desperation, doubt, right? We just get in the more nitty gritty as we get older. And I think that's where it becomes a little overwhelming too, because now there are all these words being thrown around and all these words that you can read about. And if I can't even identify the most basic emotion, then how the heck am I going to get in there and identify desperation you know, <laughs> or shame. I mean, shame is one of those buzzwords that in the last decade for sure has just gotten all of this attention and everybody's writing articles about it and we're doing podcasts about it and it's a very real thing. But oftentimes they think people can throw around these words and they really don't understand what's underneath that word. It's easy to say, I feel guilt and shame. I'm ashamed of what I did. But it's a different thing to really dig into shame and understand what shame is and how that affects you on a psychological level. In my early recovery, I could not identify a feeling to save my life. And I remember I would be venting to my sponsor And really venting and I was so emotionally immature and overreactive and dramatic that I'm sure my venting was probably really amusing for him, but (laughs) it's pretty amusing for me now too. But I remember venting to him about something, God knows what. And I remember him going, okay, well, how do you feel about that? And I felt blank, like I had no idea how to respond that question how do I feel about that like I have no idea how I feel and then he would jump in and he goes okay are you feeling this and this you think this does it make you feel like this and he'd lay it out and I was like oh my gosh that's exactly what I feel well of course he nailed it because he had already been sober you know 16, 17 years by then, (laughs) it all made perfect sense to him. But I was brand new, you know, in my first year, like I had no idea. I had no idea how I felt about anything. And it was so eye opening to get into learning about those feelings. And I often tell my clients, when you're just starting to unravel the mystery of feelings, start with the absolute basics. Like I just said the six primary emotions, like you don't even have to do those because it's six and it's hard to remember. I can't remember them and I know them well. So start with the absolute basics, you guys. Mad, sad, glad. Just start there. Because if you can start to narrow down what category you're falling into, then you can start digging a little deeper and getting into the deeper core of things. But the whole point of this episode, remember the last part of the title, is to avoid relapse. And what that means is we have to get in the solution. We have to have a solution. I can't just get caught up in the problem or the feeling or being overwhelmed by that because I don't know what I'm feeling. I can't stay there. I have to have a solution. You only get relief if you have a solution. So start with basics. Mad, sad, glad. If I can identify that my energy is angsty and weird and I'm mad. Okay, cool. Well, then I can find the solution. Even if I got to go Google it. How do I get over being mad? Google, how do I heal from being mad? Hey, Google, what's the quickest way to not be mad anymore? You know what I mean? Like get in the solution. If you can identify the basic mad, sad, glad, then you can start digging into the solution so you can get some relief. So relapse isn't such a prominent craving. You don't relapse because you want to drink. You relapse because you want to change how you feel. And oftentimes, we equate drinking with relief because it numbs. It doesn't actually relieve anything. It just numbs. It takes away the feelings you're feeling, whatever they are. It numbs it. It drowns it. But you can't run and drown every damn emotion in the bottom of a bottle. (laughs) I mean, emotions aren't that big of a deal. We just have to figure out... What are we feeling so we can figure out the solution, get some relief so relapse isn't on the table? But I want you to remember that you don't relapse because you want to drink. You relapse because you want relief. You want relief from the feelings. So figure out the feelings and how to solve the feelings so you can manage them better. Then you don't have such a penchant to run back to the bottle. So just start simple, mad, sad, glad. Now, let's talk about some super common things, and especially these were some of the big, big, big things that I felt in early recovery and all my drinking life, too, by the way. I mean, I've been really honest with you guys about who I was in my drinking life. I was an incredibly insecure, uncomfortable person. I had major codependence issues. I was dramatic. I jumped from one thing to the next thing, constantly chasing the high. I was scared to death of everything on the planet. I was scared to embarrass myself. I was scared people wouldn't like me. I was scared to do a bad job. And all of that fear made me shrink and hide and drink more because I didn't know how to deal with it, right? So let's talk about some super common feelings in early recovery. Of course, the first one I'm going to talk about is anxiety because it's the most prominent. It's what everybody knows. It's what everybody goes through. Anxiety is huge and it's hugely uncomfortable <laughs> and we all have it. I cannot tell you guys how many times a week I do consultations. You know, I do free consultations for people if they're thinking about working with me and they want to ask me some questions and just have conversation with me like it's not uncommon if you're thinking about spending a chunk of money to work with somebody you want to have a conversation with them so I can't tell you how many consultations I do a week where somebody says to me Angela I have really bad anxiety and I'm like, oh, good. Welcome to the human race. And, and certainly welcome to the addicted population. We all have anxiety. And part of that anxiety is just because we're not used to dealing with our feelings. We're not used to coping with anything. We're not used to going into a situation and being uncomfortable or awkward or socially awkward and dealing with those, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to people. We drink to kill all of that. And what happens when you drink to kill all of that? You don't learn how to cope with it. You don't learn how to walk into a situation and just be freaking awkward most of the other people in the room are awkward too. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Take a deep breath. Smile at somebody, right? Like you don't learn these most basic skills of coping with uncomfortable situations. So what happens is they magnify and they just get worse and they feel bigger and they feel worse. Welcome to anxiety. Another big one that I felt and, oh gosh, you guys, this is a big, big, big one for me because I felt this way my whole life. I always felt in 12 steps, we say apart from, I never felt a part of any group or place or anything. I always felt apart from so much so that I always had this visual in my head where I felt like the whole world was born and they were put in this one circle and it was all the people and they were living regular people lives and they were healthy and well-adjusted and they were growing up and going to college and getting married and buying houses and having kids, right? They were all in this circle of the regular people. And I felt like when I was born, I was taken and I was put in this whole other circle all by myself. And I spent my whole life looking at the circle of the regular people and wondering what was wrong with me and why I couldn't be like them. Like what was wrong with me that I couldn't be one of the regular people? Now, in a healthy, well-adjusted, emotionally mature mind, I understand that none of those people are normal. (laughs) There is no such thing as normal people. We all have dysfunction. We are all struggling, and that's the truth. So really, I fit much more than I ever thought I did, but I just always felt that sense of disconnected and detached, apart from, and excluded. And in my insecurity... If I didn't get invited to something, I took that as a personal attack. Like it was intentional. I can't believe they didn't invite me. And I might find out later that they didn't invite me because I never go to anything. So they didn't think I'd want to come. So they didn't invite me, which is absolutely logical (laughs) and probably true. (laughs) I probably really didn't want to go anyway, but I will personalize it. And I will be, oh my gosh, I can't believe they excluded me from that. You know, like, get over yourself, dude. It's not that big of a deal. But that was a big thing that I felt for a very, very long time. The other thing that I felt, and I've mentioned this already a couple of times, is that insecurity. I always felt less than. And that stems from the fact that I wasn't doing anything in my life. I had no growth in any way. I didn't have any emotional growth. I didn't have professional growth. I had no growth in my personal life. I I was doing nothing. And if you're not doing anything to better yourself, to have some type of forward movement, forward movement doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be big steps every day. You know I talk about this micro decisions, baby steps, Moving forward is the tiniest steps. I wasn't even doing that. I was stuck. I was absolutely stuck. And because of that, I felt less than. Less than everybody in every situation. I wasn't educated. I wasn't employable. I had no skills. I was a hot mess when it came to relationships. And I did them all wrong, right? I had... No plan of any sort in my professional life. I was a bartender. I made a ton of money. I got paid to play dress up and be pretty. And that made me really happy on a certain level, you know? But I had no plans to do anything differently until I got sober. So, of course, I felt insecure and less than and not worthy. You know, when you're surrounded by people that have plans and they have goals and They're getting educated or they're doing things. They have plans and they're moving toward them. I never had any of that because if I'm being really honest, I thought I was going to die. I really believed that one day I was going to go to sleep and never wake up again. I thought I was a drunk, lazy, crappy person and at some point I would die a drunk, Lazy, crappy person. So I didn't make any plans. That sounded really sad. <laughs> I guess it is really sad, but thank God I got sober, you guys. I'm a hot mess around here. Um. So the last thing I want to talk about that I felt really profoundly the majority of my life is kind of the same thing I talked about a minute ago with feeling detached and apart from the whole world is in one circle and I got put in the other circle by myself it's that sense of feeling different, like I didn't fit anywhere. I'm always different. You know, in every situation, I was different. And this was my whole freaking life, you guys, I was different. I just never fit. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have a family like other people had. I had things to hide that I was embarrassed about or uncomfortable about, or certainly things you didn't want other kids or kids' parents to know. Like, there was just always this stuff that made me feel like I didn't fit, like I I couldn't just be myself. I didn't know who myself was, right, especially as a kid. But I always just felt different, always different. When I was younger, like I wasn't quite pretty enough to be with the popular kids and I didn't have the super cool clothes because we didn't have a lot of money. So I was friends with a lot of popular kids, but I wasn't in that crowd, right? But I wasn't athletic, so I didn't fit in with the athletes. But... I wasn't really a bad kid. Like I wasn't doing any really bad stuff. So I didn't really even fit in with the bad kids. Although that's who I befriended and hung out with. But I was, I didn't fit there either because they were all doing a lot of stuff that I had zero interest in doing, you know, (laughs) so I didn't really fit there either. So I had that sense my whole life of not fitting. And I talk about this on the podcast. I've told you guys the first place I ever felt like I fit in my entire life was in Alcoholics Anonymous the first time I walked into what ended up being my home group was the first time in my life I felt like I was with my people. That's where I fit. And that's probably why that's so near and dear to my heart. Even at this stage of the game, you know, I'm getting ready to celebrate 16 years sober, especially after coronavirus. Like I don't go to meetings like I used to, right? I'm not as involved as I was certainly when I was new. But There will always be a special place in my heart for my home group and for that program because it saved my life. The people in those rooms saved my life. It gave me a sense of belonging that I had never felt before. It gave me a sense of acceptance and love that was unconditional. They loved me for all of my drama and mistakes and all the horrible things that I did. They loved me anyway. I'd never felt that before. And it's so close to my heart. And I learned so much there. But that's the first place I ever felt like I fit. So I'm going to recap these really quickly because... Of course, I told a story with everything, (laughs) so you probably don't even remember what the heck I was talking about. Super common early recovery feelings, anxiety, detached or apart from, feeling disconnected or excluded, Uh, feeling less than, insecure, unworthy, not worthy, and uh, different, feeling different and abnormal like I don't fit. We're going to work on feeling stuff a lot in 2022 in the Sober Society membership, because this is such a powerful topic that everyone struggles with. To be able to recognize what you feel allows you to not panic about it. If you don't panic, then you don't feel like you have to run and get a bottle of booze to drown that poor feeling to death you know, it allows you to go, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Okay, mad, sad, glad. Where am I falling in there? Mad, sad, glad. Okay, I'm sad. And then it allows you to get curious about it. Like when I shared with you guys a while back, I shared with you that I caught myself feeling envy. I didn't lose my mind and start beating myself up for having that feeling. I got curious and I thought, wow okay, that's not normal for me, right? Like that's not something I've struggled with. So it doesn't feel great. So why am I feeling that? What's missing that's creating this sort of void that makes me feel envious? And what's the solution? Like, how do I solve that? What can I do about it? How can I be proactive? The key is to identify it. Tell yourself it's okay sit back and go, huh, that's interesting. Where's that coming from? Instead of berating yourself for having a feeling and then going into panic mode because you don't have any solutions and relapse. It's okay to have feelings. It's okay to have feelings you aren't particularly proud of. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're human. Now, last thing, and I'm going to close this up, I'm going to send you guys, every single person on my email list, I'm going to send you a feelings guide. I have several worksheets that I've put together that I've used at different times with clients to help us understand feelings better, uh, to identify them. I'm going to send that to every single person on my email list. If you're not on the email list and you want to get there, go to addictionunlimited.com. And if you're on the website for a few seconds, there's a pop-up form. It'll pop up and say, don't miss a thing, sign up here. That puts you on the weekly email list, uh, which just means you get an email once a week about the podcast. I usually will also tell you about any special things I have going on, like the um 30-day boot camp, dry January Kickstarter. That's what we're calling it. It's a dry January Kickstarter, a 30-day boot camp with me. So when you're in the weekly email list, you might get emails about those things too, whenever I'm doing stuff. But I'm going to send every single person on my email list the feelings guide. I want you to have that. I want you guys, this is life-changing. This is a profound and life-changing skill to have. To understand what you're feeling, so you don't have to panic and you don't have to self harm in all the ways that we self harm. We self harm physically, we overeat, we smoke cigarettes, we drink, we do drugs, we have bad relationships, we have crappy jobs, we let people walk all over us. All of those things are self harm. We eat super crappy food, right? That's self harm. So, Understanding feelings and getting real comfortable with that and having solutions is a game changer. So again, if you want to get on, uh, if you want to get in the 30-day boot camp, I would love to meet you guys in there. This is going to be a blast and it's going to be a lot of lives, a lot of video, a lot of action, really digging into how to stay sober, really get sober, how to stay sober, what to think about, how to think, changing thought processes, all of that stuff. Addictionunlimited.com forward slash bootcamp. And if you want to jump on the email list to get the feelings guide, just go to addictionunlimited.com. The pop-up will come up, sign your little bad self up right there, and we're going to handle this. I would love for you to get really curious with this. When you start feeling something, like go on a mission to identify it. Google it. I'm mad because someone offended me. You know, Google whatever the thing is. You can Google whole sentences and Google will help you figure it out. Exactly what you're feeling and why. Just don't panic. Feelings always pass. Your bad mood will pass just like your good mood does. I hope you are having a fantastic day. I cannot wait to meet you guys in the boot camp. We're going to have so much fun. AddictionUnlimited.com forward slash boot camp. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I will see you next week. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.